Hey Collabris, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckles. And you're listening to CollaboraCast. going jay i'm doing pretty well how about you yeah it's good it's good it's um it's kind of getting to that you know fall is coming and that's pleasant i'm remarkably impressed with the weather as it stands today how are things out your way well we've got a fall vibe in that it's back to school already for some reason schools in this area start up in mid-july or whatever it is right now it is today is august 16th the uh schools for my son and daughter both started on wednesday of last week which i think was the 10th um and it's 98 degrees over there today so is it like how do you how it's like what is it fall is it summer like what are are we doing here let's let's decide so what um, is weather (laughs) the weather didn't get the the back to school memo so it's still like hey what's up summer and it is summer like why i don't i don't get it i don't yeah. know i i used to i went to school starting mid-september labor day ish you know that was that was how we did it back when i was walking uphill to, to that school both directions and august yeah, is so. definitely not feeling the pumpkin spice it is it is not ready for the no. pumpkin spice no no, I'm I'm there's still swimming to do and ice cream to eat as far as I'm concerned. I guess well, I'm just doing it without the kids now. So hey. <laughs> How were the first Very days lost. of kindergarten? They were fine. They were fine. They were good. She uh Hazel went to preschool for a solid three years. So she's already she was like, Yep, yeah, whatever. Bye, Dad. See you later. This is my jam. So yeah, all all good. Well, that's good. What do we have on the old docket for today's episode in our ongoing series of how to write a novel? Today, we are talking about scene building, and this is a meaty one. Um, Not that any of them haven't been, but today we are really getting into the mechanics, the nuts and bolts, the how-to, the secret sauce of how you write a scene. So if you are a novelist if you are a creative nonfiction writer if you are a memoirist then you're definitely going to want to listen in well give us an overview i'm i'm kind of excited to hear of this what is what is scene building we talked a little bit last week about the difference between summary and scene summary is when the action goes kind of quickly where you move through things and i have realized since last week that the example that i gave of scene was really kind of just a different kind of summary. So, hey, people, you get what you pay for <laughs> yeah, right now. Right. You're subscribing for free. <laughs> so just pretend like the Tower of Babel thing that I read was was that that was just another example of a different type of summary. Scene building is when you slow down and you write what's happening moment by moment in some type of of real world scenario and by real world i i mean your i mean it could be science fiction you could be on the planet of arrakis as 
as I am reading now the sequel to Dune. Um, but it is it's it's when you it's when you let when you dramatize interactions. Um, well, the ingredients, the four main ingredients to scene building are dialogue, action, description, and the internal world. And the internal world thing is kind of a quagmire. So I'm going to save that one for last. The other three are much easier to talk about. But it it contrasts with summary and that summary, you can say that this guy was born and then he lived and then he had a kid and then that guy born, was born and lived and then they there and then a hundred years later but that's that summary scene is when you slow down to real time and you walk the reader through things as they're happening or even even more slowly in some cases as you dive into memories as you kind of, you can even hit pause in the middle of a scene and get deep into a a character's memories or different associations or fantasies or future projections that's all in the internal worlds thing one of the, the the most common hallmarks of scene building is is dialogue when you have people speaking and when you are hearing their words as they say them verbatim in in real time i have a couple of pages that i would like to read from my work in progress um i was thinking about an example that i could bring to talk about this and uh, i just decided to do this because a um i'm trying to embrace self-promotion <laughs> b it is uh, it, probably the thing that i'm most qualified to talk about uh because it's it's mine and i'm just i i know about it um, and three, it's maybe kind of a put your money where your mouth is sort of thing. So if, if we're going to sit here and talk about how to write scenes, then here's here's how I did it. And four, our aggressive and sometimes worrisome lawyers won't have to worry about clearing the rights for a sample if we read something from another book. And they are always wanting to be on the clock and always asking or more money. So we will deprive them of this opportunity. I want to ask you a question that you can address either before you read or after. But one of the things is that balance between scene and summary. And so maybe when you're reading this and then talking about it afterwards, can you tell us how you decided what was part of scene and what was part of summary on either side of it? Well, this this passage is entirely in scene, so I, I'm choosing this and and listeners, I'd love you to to pay attention to what's dialogue, what is action, what is description of the world, and then which things are the viewpoint characters, internal world sensations, those four elements. So this is this is an illustration of that, and I think that. One of the more difficult things to do, or, or I should say one of the things that really separates good prose from aspiring prose is the balance of those four things. And 
it, it's something that I work hard on. So this is this is my offering. Um, you know, welcome any opinions about this particular balance. Um, you know, including from you yourself. But uh, I'm kind of yeah, excited about this. Let me start reading. The train rumbles into a suburb. On both sides, low sound walls separate the tracks from the backyards of large pastel-colored stucco homes. He wonders which side of the tracks is the wrong side. When the side of the houses becomes monotonous, he returns his intention, he returns his attention to the train's interior, where he finds that Anastasia is looking at him. He smiles and nods at her. She nods back without smiling, her eyes steady. Her mother continues sleeping. Do you have a penny? Anastasia asks. Her voice is low, slightly hoarse. Gabriel digs in his pocket, finds one, and sets it in her open palm. Watch, she says. She closes her fingers around it and holds the resulting fist in the air between them, rotating it back and forth as if showing Gabriel the punch he is about to receive. Her eyes remain locked on his. She uncurls her fingers and reveals, instead of the penny, a tiny key. Its appearance is such a shock that Gabriel flinches. He looks to Rommel McDonald for help, but his neighbor is hurriedly tapping out directives in a chat window as his tank rumbles on autopilot through a grove of pixelated pine trees. Anastasia extends the key and Gabriel accepts it, studying it as if it might reveal something about its origins. Another one? Anastasia asks. Gabriel, having purchased coffee, a magazine, and a bottle of water, all from different vendors, is grateful to have a pocket full of change. He hands her another penny. You're watching, she asks. Yes, he says. Carefully? He nods. The hand closes, rises, rotates, and opens, and she hands him a tiny plastic horse. Do you see, she asks. No, he says. That's amazing. Not really, she says. Another one? The penny disappears into her fist, rises. You have to do a better job, she says. Tell me when. When what? When you're ready to do a better job. He scans the area around her, searches her mother's sleeping figure, the air conditioning nozzle and the lamp aiming down toward her from the ceiling. Ice plant covered hills are sliding by outside. He studies her face, the freckled patches at her temples, a tiny cleft in her chin, her tangle of dirty blonde hair, her pale blue eyes, which do not blink or waver. Okay, he says. She opens her hand. In the center of her palm sits a tiny metal shoe. Do you see? She asks. He shakes his head and hands her a nickel. She produces a small purple dye and then a pink rubber ball, a plastic coat button, a glass unicorn, and a small eraser with a picture of a pot of gold on it, all of which she places into Gabriel's bold hands. Mm. Yeah, that, that pulled me right into that scene. Thank you. So that last paragraph, last couple of sentences there, that actually does get into summary. So you go through a few iterations of her, of her, and then, and then, you know, it would be tedious to go through moment by moment. <laughs> that was the heart of my question is that uh, it is often the case where I see people writing scenes that should be summary because they become tedious or because they are not really the focus of what's going on. They're how we get to what's going on and how we leave what's going on. But I'll get the people who do the, he woke up at eight, 
Then he felt himself under the sheets. Then he put his feet on the floor. Then he went to the, like, get me to the part where he's at the office and he's freaking out on somebody because this is all, we all wake up in the morning and go to breakfast. So at what point did you know, okay, there's going to be a list of things that are coming out of here, um, but I've given the critical ones. Yeah. So I wanted to establish the pattern, you know, establish the, the interaction. Um, you know, I wanted to develop his reaction to her, her, her demeanor and her, um, you know, her, her display, her, this trick that she's doing, this series of tricks that she's doing. I wanted to just kind of establish a feel for their interaction. And once I had that, um, and kind of, you know, once I established really the way that that felt for him to be a participant, he's, he's one of my main characters. Um, the girl Anastasia is just, this is just a brief scene. She's a, a, a fellow passenger on a train um, going from Los Angeles to San Diego. And then they have this brief interaction and then that's all we see of her. So this was really more about creating a sense of strangeness for him, I suppose. And once that was established, it, it, it didn't matter how many times she did it or what exact thing she produced. Um, it, and so I wanted to establish that and then and then continue through that summary just to to carry it through and to, um, but it didn't, but like you said, like you get it, the reader gets it. So you, you understand the interaction, you don't need to see it blow by blow. So in your debut novel, The Paper Sun, there is very much a component of magical realism. And when I hear the scene you just read, I kind of felt a similar um, magical realism. Am I picking up on what exists or is the fact that I got a sample without context giving me false context for what I'm hearing? No, you're right. And, and, and you're fairly uniquely positioned as my publisher to be able to make that assessment um but yeah there is and he he talks about magic and a trick at some point and she's it's like no it's not it's not magic it's not a trick and and doesn't provide him with any explanation for that and so it's really the reader can interpret the interaction and and her as as they will but the you know so there's there's a mix of the dialogue and it's not heavy on dialogue. I think that that one, I think that beginning writers or less experienced writers are are more prone to really have the dialogue do a lot of work. And it it can ring, it can, it can that's not it's not really how people talk people don't sit there and talk in whole sentences. They don't talk in paragraphs to each other where they're describing the world and the scenes around them. Those are, there are other writing techniques to convey those. And then you can really kind of cut down so that, so that when people talk, it's, it's often 
it's can be fairly minimal the amount the number of words that are actually said because of context and one of the more difficult skills i think in in scene building is to create context in other ways and then to trust that your reader understands that and will understand kind of more truncated dialogue you know people don't talk to each other we don't we don't talk to each other the way we write papers we sometimes don't even talk in full sentences let alone full paragraphs and and figuring out a way to reproduce those those the rhythms of natural speech and yet have it make sense and convey all that meaning is that that's when you have to use description that's when you have to use um you know people's actions gestures these these other ingredients yeah the dialogue can become its own form of telling instead of showing it's just you're kind of cheating by having a character be the one who's like this is what i mean it's like eh, like there was a way to get to that and i'm i'm with you in that well i i am a hyper minimalist when it comes to writing. And I'd say that as someone who can write a 200,000 word novel, but I am hopefully conveying a million words and 200,000 of them. Like I, I'm very mindful of exact phrasing that says more than, it carries more weight than the sentence appears to carry. And yeah, the, the ability to do that and not have to rely on dialogue to do it is an important part of that. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, so with the the more straightforward ingredients that are included then with dialogue are, are just the description of, you know, we hear about sensory details and just the description. And that's, it's, you know, it's one of the things, it's one of the earliest skills that writers develop is just being able to describe something well. And there are some overlaps. I've, you know, I've kind of broken this down into these four categories and there are some things that are actions, but they're also descriptions. So it isn't, you know, don't, don't think of it, it, you know, this isn't meant to be, you know, etched in stone, non-permeable categories, but you might have say a restaurant scene. And if you're describing, let's say there's a, 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 somebody drops a plate in the background that's an action there's an action that's happening but it 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 works more as a description of the feel of the world around the characters if it doesn't pertain directly to whatever is happening for the characters in that scene having a heated conversation or whatever is happening that broken dish in you know 30 feet away is more just something that that you can bring in to emphasize something to the, that'll resonate with with some discomfort that one of the characters is feeling obviously there's a way to put too fine a point on it you know if you've got a heated conversation and then you get, there's dishes breaking all around it's like okay that's you're trying a little too hard to have the environment perfectly match the the, the tone of the interaction but there are, you know, just subtle ways to one of the things that this was called out to me by a reader in an early draft of a paper son, where he said, so this was a, um, a friend of mine named John, who was a client of mine who wrote a book called Fatal Conceit, which is awesome. Everybody should go read it. John Ritter. He did me the favor of reading um, an early draft of a paper son. 
And he's like, you use the word moment a lot. <laughs> he's like, there's a lot of people just pausing for a moment and waiting a moment. And I'm so grateful to him for having been able to pick that up because that was, that was a laziness on my part. Those are, those are, those were times when I needed to have a little beat in the conversation or in a scene, but I wasn't thinking about what I could put in that beat. And, you know, there are in any given scene, even a quiet scene with a character by himself, there are any of a number of ways to put in a little bit of a detail from somewhere in the world that creates a little beat, creates a little pause, and also enhances whatever the the, the tenor of the scene is, whatever the, the character is thinking about, whatever they're talking about. And so I went through, I literally did a command F and found every place where I had moment. And I went through and I, I took out about 75, 80% of them. And in this project, I was like, every time now, every time I find myself wanting to write, there was a pause, you know, you paused a moment. I think about John, I'm like, no, don't do it. There's something, there's something better that goes there. And that is either, you know, that comes, that can be a little action that somebody takes, a little gesture, a description of something. That balance is really important. And it's hard to get it right, especially if you're not consciously thinking about it. I, you know, I come across people who will have scenes where Bob lit a cigarette and said X, Y, and Z. And then somebody else talks and then Bob talks and someone else talks and then Bob lights a cigarette. And I know that the writer took an hour to get to bridge that. Like that, that the real time that it took to create this is significantly different than the time that it actually would take to occur in real life. And we forget that because we've struggled for 20 minutes to get it right. Just exactly what it was that Bob said. And then we need a cigarette afterwards because it was this like major thing. But as a, as an editor, as a reader, I don't even have to be an editor as a reader. I'm like, okay, so Bob's got two cigarettes going right now. Cause he just lit that other one. And there was no paused for a moment to let us have him finish that cigarette to start a new one. And, and that is um, a sneaky part of things is like the time passing and being aware of how it would pass in real life versus how long it took us to write something. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, a great point. And that's why it's so important to read your work to yourself, to, to read it out loud, to, to go back and read without editing to just just go through and to really feel that flow and feel the rhythm. Sometimes you repeat words, you know, I find myself and, and it's like, I'll work on one sentence and I'll work on it for 20 minutes. And then I go to the next sentence and then I've forgotten that I used three of the same words two sentences ago because it was two hours ago that I was working on that. Right. If you read through without, you know, make yourself not edit, make yourself not change anything. And that's also why it's so important to, to find people who will, read your work for you who will and give you. you honest feedback right be like john be like yo you too many moments <laughs> way too many moments i so, yeah. my moments is shrugged 
everybody's shrugging. You get a shrug, <laughs> you get a shrug, everyone's shrugging over here. And no one knows anything. Yeah. Say right. That's one of my most used emojis is the just the <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the, what the thing we're the talking, times we're living in. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're in a state of perpetual shrug. The the balance though of what we were talking about with the time it takes to write something, not the time it takes to type it, but the time it takes to write something versus the real time how it would pass in real life. That is one of those places where you are on both sides of the teeter-totter between scene and summary because you you vomit out the scene. This is the this is the cathartic. Well, maybe that's even the wrong word because there's so much more carefully and and you you really you're pouring out your emotion and your art and your talent. And, and this is, I'm concentrating, I'm concentrating, I'm concentrating, and here's what I came up with. And we recognize that a whole book is not going to be just like one super focused, hyper-concentrated telling of a story. And that summary comes in. And this balance between how do we show the passing of time so that we can go from critical thing to critical thing. But because critical things don't happen in a series without a breath between them, you have to have this passing time. How do you pass time that allows the reader to catch their breath from the scene they just read so that now they get the summary, they're able to catch their breath, and now we're back into another scene and it's given itself enough room to breathe that we're able to take in the fullness of the first scene and then have cleared enough mental space to read the second scene. And that the summary between is so critical there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think that that is, you know, as you were describing that quandary, I was thinking about what what they call in filmmaking blocking you know it's just moving people around from place to place i think that this is where having rich well-conceived settings really helps because you because let's say you have a really intense scene here and then you've got a i have one of my tips that i put on instagram was just to feed your characters make sure they get some food at some point it's like characters have human needs and you know if we're asking the readers to get fully invested in these worlds just be like this guy's tired like let this guy get some sleep let this guy get a good meal let let him get a shower you know um just kind of doing maintenance things like that as we as we move through things and then moving characters from point a to point b um you know maybe getting through a night, having a good night's sleep and then waking up and then finding out that everything's crazy again or, or whatever it is. But, you know, the, the, the reasons for it are, you know, the, the reason to decide on a scene is because there is some, something, there's something critical that happens, something that is pivotal to the plot, some bit of, you know, some important or an emotional exchange something something happens that bears the reader really witnessing it unfold moment to moment and that usually has to do with with 
wanting for the reader to to follow on the character's emotional journey as these things happen, as they navigate whatever challenges you've set out for them, as they as they quest for whatever it is. Um, you know, there will be many, many moments where you want to portray exactly what's happening moment to moment in in that character's reactions, their decision-making process, you know, a mistake that they might make and they're they're watching themselves do this thing and realizing it's the wrong thing and then it becomes too late and, and then having things like that go moment by moment. And that's where I think we get into... So I, I talked about the fourth category of internal worlds, and and it, this this is where things get a little bit trickier. But uh, among those things, there's subcategories within that, and it could be it could be flashbacks, it could be just internal reactions, it could be physical reactions. One of one of the the pitfalls in this is that there are so many cliched ways to talk about a physiological reaction to something. Let's say you've got a scene, you've got two characters and then one character gets some bad news. Like it is, it's hard. <laughs> it's very tempt. There are so many cliched ways to have a character, my stomach falling, lump in your throat, tears welling, um, you know, sweaty palms, like all of these, these things are so overdone. And so I think that one of the things that I find I need to concentrate on the most or where I need to be kind of most present and, and, and most engaged and concentrating is, is when I'm, when I have these moments where I'm talking about what a kind of a, how how a character is receiving some news or you know interpreting event, events before them and how they're first feeling that maybe in their body and then the thoughts that they're having there's just things are there are so many cliches there are so many ways to do it poorly to to be original and creative about talking you know the the, the experience of like you know when i say my stomach fell or something Everybody knows that. Everybody knows what that feels like. And that, but that's such an overused description. Like, how do you come up with a new way to say that? How do you come up with a creative, original way to describe that feeling? Um, that's that's hard to do. And I think that that just spending a lot of time, you know, basically just meditating, just being really quiet and attentive to the way your own body feels, the way that just just developing a connection between your mind and your own body so that you can talk about what's happening in your own body in a way that is that goes beyond cliche that goes beyond this the, the vast catalog of stock phrases that we have for those sorts of things and one thing to be mindful of is to not get purple with it to not overly cuz you don't want to pull the reader from it be like what what are you trying to tell me? Like, that's where they might say, just say your stomach fell or you had a lump in your throat. That'll suffice because you don't want the, and then it felt like a million ants were crawling along the inside of his esophagus and they all were holding signs saying, we don't like this. We don't, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like now I'm not there anymore. <laughs> but you're right that uh, Dennis Johnson for me is an author who would just have these turns of phrase that were different enough from anything that I had read before 
without being purple, without being pretentious, but that were so precise mm-hmm. and so like just punched, like here's your emotion button and bam, like, like it would just hit it so perfectly. Right. In and, like four or five words. Yeah. Like, yeah, without, absolutely. Yeah, just, like, just wreck you. Just yeah. come in and just wreck you with four or five words. Right. Here's, here's, and now you're always going to think about this when you feel that way. You're, you're like, I'm redefining how this feels to you because right. of that precision. Do you, These, when you talk oh, about do, that internal world, going back to an earlier episode, do you have any thoughts about handling that from, third person and first person like what is the difference how do we how do we if at all do we expect or anticipate changes between the two you know i think if you're doing a a third person omniscient narrative then i i think it starts to get a little bit trickier to get really deep into a character I think you're almost kind of stretching the rules of of that voice. You know, a a a narrator that has access to the the minutia of somebody's internal worlds is is less likely to be able to hop into another character. I mean, I'm, there are writers who can pull it off, but I think broadly speaking, a first person or a close third person n- narration is going to to be more believable in terms of getting at some of those those deeper things, those more internal things. Um, you know, some of the other. So I I talked about physical sense, kind of the somatic reactions to things. But the other, I mean, there's also flashback. So that's that's a time, you know, where you can. We're talking about scene being slowing down to real time. But with flashback, by using flashback and not just flashback, but when you get into a character's thoughts, you can take a scene in in the height of of action and basically just hit pause and then go into that character's mind and go through pages and pages of backstory or or whatever it is. I mean, it's the more ambitious you get with it, the more skills you need to have to pull it off. But you can take a moment, you can take a tiny moment in that's unfolding in real time and come into that moment without much context and then hit pause in the middle of it and then go back in time, go back to some memories that the character might be having and write several pages or however much. And then you come back into that moment and then all of a sudden there's a whole new context that the reader has for that scene or that moment. Um, and you can do that. And I'm talking about backstory and memory and flashbacks, but you can also do that with like, if you're having an an anxious reaction to something, if you have a character who has some worries and concerns, then maybe you pause that moment and then they're projecting their concerns into the future. Oh no, if this happens, then this and this and this, and what does that mean for this and that and that and that? And then you come back and, and, and you're there. Um, uh, you know, another time when it, it, I talked about basic reactions, but but you can have much more complicated things going on in an emotional level. And I think this is where it it's you, there's the opportunity to really build a lot of layering and nuance into scenes where you might have a character who's falling in love 
And on the surface, it's a very straightforward interaction, but maybe, you know, somebody does something that triggers a whole cascade of things and memories and this and that. And, and then you emerge back into that moment and, and all of a sudden this character is in love at, you know, in that exact moment. And then you take the reader on a journey of exactly why and how that happened. That could take place in, in real time in the timeline that could take place in the, you know, the span of one sentence, but it could be a dozen pages of, of text. And so that's it, it, it. There are so many options when you're building a scene and it's hard to know how much of each to put in there. And the, I wish I had some, I wish there was some easy matrix, easy flow chart. <laughs> if this, then do this much action, this much dialogue. It's art, you know, it's art. And there's more than one way to do it right. There are, you know, the scene that I read, there might be, you know, 50 writers who were all equally experienced and skilled who might write that in any of, you know, they would all write it in 50 completely different ways. But the, the take home message, you know, the, what I want to convey with this is to just be aware of the tools that are available to you as you're building scenes. If you find that your characters are just talking, they're just going back and forth with dialogue and dialogue. You're probably missing some opportunities to to show some reactions that they're having. And maybe maybe there's some conflict because they're saying something that they don't really believe. Unless you dive into that character, you can't portray that to the reader. Maybe you're missing out on some opportunities to point out some, some things going on in the world around them. Some things that could convey feelings uh, like the dishes breaking or a bird chirping that's cliched but whatever you something in something in the a bird breaking dishes a, <laughs> a waiter <laughs> breaking a bird yeah <laughs> i i think that what you were just saying too about if you just have conversation going on the reader can then kind of fall into the trap of two disembodied voices just going back and forth. And if we can set the environment up, if we can give the world to them by doing exactly what you're talking about, it allows them to settle more into the situation. And it's not just, again, just two disembodied voices talking. There's a whole world and now we are people. And even if we can't see the people super clearly, we at least know that we're eavesdropping from the comfort of the library or we're eavesdropping from the comfort of the restaurant and that that's a way to ground the reader in the scene, literally. Yes, and there are, like you said, there's all sorts of other things. It's a whole context that that's happening in. There are things happening. There are other people around. There are unpredictable things that can rise up and happen. And you know, if those, those can, it, there's, there are, there's unpredictability, there's, there's things rarely just work out like scripted conversations. Um, you know, people, I, I like to try to write in when I'm writing dialogue, I, I, it, it's, it's a lot more fun to write dialogue when you have more than two speakers. There are, when you have three people, you can have, 
there's just so much more opportunity for a dynamic conversation for people to be missing things, not getting things, misunderstandings, talking over other people. Yep. Someone asks a, yeah, yeah. Disagreements. Someone says, asks a question and the other two people just keep talking and ignoring the question. And it's just, it, it makes for such a, you know, it's much more dynamic and it, it gets away from just that, you know, person A says this person B responds, person A says this person B responds. Um, and then you, you know, when you have other things going on, when you have the environment, when you have these internal worlds, when you have things that you need to be doing, you know, gesture gestures is another area where that's, so I talked about struggling to describe physiological reactions. Gestures are similar. Like if you just want to depict somebody's mental state and, you know, this isn't your main character, this is a, you know, another character then, then there are a lot of cliches when it comes to, to gestures that they might make, you know, scratching their head or, or whatever, but there are, but really there are so many things that people do from facial tics to, you know, movements of the head, shrugs. To, like, you know, a, a, shrugs, <laughs> everyone, a shrugs. poker player, right. Poker player. If you're, if you're an experienced poker player, you would be great at writing. <laughs> at writing gestures because that it's like that that minute study of of reactions of tells you know tells, yeah. tells that people have so um you know i'm a very mediocre poker player <laughs> but it, you know there are there's just there's so many things there's so many things that you can bring to bear on a scene and I think once I, th- I think the biggest mistake that I see beginning writers making is they is they completely ignore one or two of them. And I think that once you just know that they all exist and you are consciously thinking about them as you write scenes, then you're going to be able to come to a combination that feels good to you. Um, you know, some people are going to write more internally than others. Some people are going to be, you know, if you're writing a, a crime thriller um you're gonna it's gonna probably be more heavy on the action and dialogue if you're writing you know a psychological thriller it's gonna be you're gonna kind of the lens is gonna turn inward a little more but just knowing what you have knowing the tools that you have in front of you is gonna let you to build richer scenes it's gonna let you figure out a formula that works for you and then as you as you're editing your own work or reading or editing someone else's work, you read through and you think, okay, what is this writer doing at this point? Are we, are, you know, how, how are they really conveying all the different layers of this scene? And just being aware of those things, I think can really enhance scene building. All right. Well, thank you for that. Do you have anything left in the scene building tank? I think that's it. All right. Well, then I would like it. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and I would like to do the thing that we all do at the end of every podcast, which is to say that if you enjoy it, please feel free to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. They tell me that this is a very important component of becoming a filthy rich podcaster. And we are nothing if not doing this for the filthy rich money that can come out of doing a podcast about writing. I also want to say that we are using all of the different social medias 
for different purposes. So depending on what your likes and interests are when it comes to consuming social media, you should maybe just check it out. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Jason's loading up the TikTok machine. We're over on LinkedIn, MySpace, LiveJournal, AOL, everywhere. Or wherever there's social media, we're, we're there for Friendster. the most part. And lastly, we are uh, doing some pretty cool stuff over on Patreon. So if you are inclined to get some perks that are related to writing and editing and talking to us, they are there. They are available. For story. For community. Cool.